Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. A quarter century ago, I was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer. For more than 15 years, I've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare. And I'm just getting warmed up. So let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. You know that feeling when you meet somebody for the first time and you're like, A, how the hell have I never known you? And B, are we somehow related? And maybe C, can we be best friends right now? Well, that's what happened when I met Gail Zotz at a conference in Miami for the first time. We'd been sort of in each other's orbit for a couple of years, but never really connected. And that's what happened in Miami. You're like, we're family. I don't even know you 10 minutes and we're family. That It was right there. So, of course, what happened next? She came to New York to the studio for four hours. And we just, in Yiddish, we say spatziered. We just shot the shit and had just this, like, event horizon of common threads and opportunities, the least of which being we're both graduates of SUNY Binghamton. And, yes, I say SUNY Binghamton and not Binghamton University. You're welcome. Today's episode with Gail is long. It's uh, three segments because I just couldn't contain my enthusiasm and her energy into just 30 minutes. And I hope you make the time to listen to the whole episode in any permutation you can. We didn't just perseverate on the 80s and the 90s, the simplicity of the internet before the internet. How can you have the right amount of angry? But she's got this incredible backstory that has nothing to do with her insanely ridiculous cancer story, which is how we met. But that doesn't define her. She spent the 90s after graduating from Binghamton in old school traditional broadcast media, television, on-air correspondent, direct camera work. This was exactly what journalism and broadcasting was back then, and she was right there. But the true saga of Gail began when she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and pretty much treated in the worst way possible. I've never really used the term cancer jail, but basically she lived in cancer jail for six years. You're going to hear a lot of jargon around value-based care, and I just play the idiot. What the hell is value-based care? But at the end, I think it makes sense, and I want to spend more time talking about it here on the show. So with all that said, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for everything that is Gail Zotz. Let's get started. All right, I'm staring at Gail Zotz, literally here in my studio, and I'm kind of beside myself because I'm staring at Gail Zotz. <laughs> you have been like the spotted owl of my career. 
Like, I've known of you. I've seen of you. I've seen photos of you. And we no. finally met last week. Which is crazy. In Miami. I know. It really feels like we like should have known each other for years. Yep. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. I mean, you could still stare at me. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> video on That's it. fine. <laughs> we'll throw a camera up in the we'll have a spy camera in the corner. Closed circuit television. Do it. <laughs> really behind the scenes. Totally behind the scenes. It's like the inside edition MTV unplugged version of the show. Yeah, exactly. I will run it on YouTube. Honestly, like like I said before the show, like we've been in this sliding doors world. I mean, you're technically five years into this. I'm 26 years into this, but the welcome to shit happens club that this has evolved into since I even joined it by accident 26 years ago, among the million things we have in common. Yes. We're starting with Binghamton. Okay. And Wegmans. Which is crazy. I mean, how many cancer survivors can you meet that went to your alum? (laughs) That's the nichest of the niche market. We are, we're a new brand. We are. We're like, yeah. Were you colonials or was it Bearcats by then? Is that a trick question? Well, Colonials was like the football team, and then they became Bearcats. So what the fuck is a Bearcat? We didn't have a football team. Binghamton had a football team. Binghamton didn't have a football team. It was the team. Colonials. No, you're yeah. making that up. There was no football team. You were like a theater person, weren't you, like me? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and ice hockey. I, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I love ice hockey. All right, so the Colonials yeah, were yeah, what yeah. they were, but, but they became the Bearcats. I don't, I don't think there was a football team. Just out of random coincidence, so... When I was, uh, you know, adrift in the sea of what the fuckery in the 90s after I was like told, go home and you'll be fine when I have no idea if I'm going to live. Right. My first peer, the first human I met who like, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Talk about like dogmatic coincidence. Not only was he bald, Jewish from New York City and had brain cancer in his 20s. He's a Binghamton alumni. We're a club. Yes. There's three of us. There's three of us now. Yes. There's three of us now. So exciting. Yeah, and he Can was in the acapella group. He was we the big of the Crosby, also, okay, and I was no. a Crosby. You were no, you were not. I was oh, an honorary Crosby. You yes. were a Cro- no. I was a Crosby groupie. Ah, I like dated Crosbys. Really <laughs> makes so much sense. By the way, these seven people listening that went to Binghamton exactly. will enjoy this part We're of the show. We're going to put it up on Facebook. That's where I'm connected to all of my Crosby people. We'll have to let Lois DeFleur know. <laughs> Remember her? She was the president. Yeah. No. Yeah. But the Crosbys. Yeah, the Crosbys. You were really Crosby? I no, was an honorary Crosby because I played music for the Crosbys. There was no music. It was acapella. I was like, no, but I was, <laughs> I was the guy that like, if oh, they. you get a job that's not really a right, job. Right, right. I'm like the instrument for the instrument free band. But I mean, if they needed to like me to play the piano for something, yeah, I would always just chime in. And one of my best friends was the head of David Curry ran the Crosbys and Mike Van Allen ran the Crosbys. And we were all. A little band. So I had a nickname. My cro- I was at Crosby enough to be given a nickname. I was 88 because I play piano and there's 88 kids at piano. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm 88 whenever I do Crosby stuff. You know, I have to call my college roommate after this. Oh, for sure. I'll be like, you can't believe it. I mean, we were all about the Crosby. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Crosby. I want some tapes. You Yes, they had cassette tapes. The cassette so, tapes, right? You were there when the campus pub was still around too. Yeah. They got rid of that when I was a sophomore. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, cancel culture came way early at Binghamton. <laughs> oh, and I met Cesar Chavez. Cesar Chavez came to Binghamton? Of the grape boycott. Oh, wow. I boycotted grapes. Do you, want, do you know why I boycotted grapes? Because the California Raisins commercial stopped broadcasting? <laughs> no, because of the way the migrant workers were treated. Oh. So therefore, if I went into a restaurant and I would, I was this kid. I would like the fruit salad, but does it have grapes? 
Oh boy. This <laughs> was like, like the gluten free of its time. <laughs> no, it was, I, I was, I had morals, right? I was like, what do you mean it has grapes? Do you know what grapes do to people? Do you know what the migrant workers go through? So I was working on the grape boycott. I had sweatshirts and everything. And he came and he invited me to quit college and join his movement. What would Twitter have done for you back then? Oh my gosh, I would be great <laughs> on Twitter. Imagine me on Twitter then. Boycott grapes. Like... <laughs> the great grape boycott. Right? <laughs> this is the best part of when I interview people that like know what life was like in the 90s before the internet. And like, how the hell did we get by and live? Oh, and yet oh, we're better than ever. Oh, can we play that? Like card catalog. Gen X therapy. This portion of the show is Gen X therapy. <laughs> Payphone. Payphones, cords. Oh, um, tangled cords. VCR. VCRs. Laser discs. Commodore 64. Double deck cassette tapes. When a microwave oven came. Do you remember that? AOL floppy disks. Oh, floppy. Sam Goody. Blockbuster. Blockbuster. Or pre Blockbuster. Family run VCR rental stores. Beta. Beta Max. Mm-hmm. Rubik's Cube. What happened at midnight when the television went off? Oh, the static. And you got the static? Or waiting at 5 a.m. for Captain Kangaroo to come on? Yeah. Yeah. Stores being closed on Sundays. That was really Jersey, though. No, I was in Pennsylvania. Yeah, but were those like the, the blue, blue laws with the church? Yeah, yeah there were no yeah. blue laws in New York City. Okay. They were well, losing all the money. You know. We're heretics. <laughs> we're total fucking heretics in New York City. <laughs> Buy all you want on Sundays, folks. Everything's open. One of my like first early 20s jobs was selling those car phones. Oh my God. They were like this big. Like the like, Sunny Crockett uh, car phones from Miami Vice. Like $1,000, yeah. right? And yeah. they got like hooked in and, yep. The best thing is when you watch like YouTube videos of car phone ads in the 80s and 90s. Okay, I feel like you've just named a whole night for us. Yeah. We're just going to have to watch these. You could look at like, like car phone commercials on YouTube and they're awesome. They're better than Zach Mars phones. Like, like I think there was a, there was a car phone in like Wall Street with Michael Douglas. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, that's what life was like. Yeah. There was a car phone in like trading places. I don't know. I'm going way back. Remember going to the airport all the way? Yeah. As an event. Did you pack your bags? You to the gate. No, I didn't and, pack my bags. You... Fine. Go on. Enjoy. Have fun. Remember an airplane, was it airplane two? Uh, Sonny Bono bought a bomb in the deli. I'll take the first time I'm on the left. Sure, here you go. Here you go. Things that have not aged well across 40 years of media. So where did you grow up? Philadelphia. So what was life like for you in Philadelphia besides Rocky Balboa? <laughs> well, that was it, right? So we grew. I grew up in like the first neighborhood out of Philadelphia, like the first family. There's there's this big developer called Toll Brothers, which you see. As, I know the Nestle Toll Brothers. Yeah, only I grew up. They real on estate people too. Toll Drive. No way. Their first road. Did it smell like chocolate? One twenty five Toll Drive. Was it paved with chocolate? It was, but okay. that's another story. Okay, great. <laughs> I had to make sure you were living in the right neighborhood. So, yeah, no, it was like super suburbia. Like, and we were latchkey kids. Remember, like, when that was okay? Mm hmm. Like, literally. Latchkey. That's another 80s thing. Yeah, yeah. You had a key around. Like, I wore a key yeah. to school because we had keys on the door, right? I wore a key and then I, like, let my sister in and we watched Flintstones. And, and you'd walk home and no one would know where you were. Yes, we would walk home. Get and home when the lights turned on. <laughs> <laughs> Curfew was when the street lights turned on. <laughs> I know. Or like in my neighborhood on Staten Island, like every mother would yell out the door, Frankie, Maddie, Scotty. And like we'd all just come running in our bikes like E.T. style. Right. 
simpler days, different days, different, better, but also different, worse for many people. Yeah, different. Different, worse for many, many people, but definitely, oh my God, we could really appreciate simpler things. Helicopter moms kind of didn't exist. We ate dirt and our immune systems worked. Yeah, I'm still pro dirt. I'm pro dirt. I really am. I'm like, you know, I feel like. <laughs> pro dirt. Today's episode is sponsored by Sod. <laughs> like we should get like Scott's brand lawn I, crap to sponsor the show. Exactly. Hashtag pro dirt. Well, one of George Carlin's best bits was like, whatever happened to sticks? Oh my gosh, I love Charge Carlin. We used to play with sticks. He was brilliant. He was <laughs> Stoop brilliant. Stoopball, right? sticks. Yeah. Right. Occupying our time. When there was no cell phones and internet. And so, so I mean, I was like a visionary. <laughs> you were ahead of your time. I was on ahead Toll of my Road. Time, on Toll Drive. So I sat down, I was doing a uh, paper on solar energy. That really was ahead of your time. I was. Wait till you hear. So I sat down on my Commodore 64. Now, that was, I have for, that as well. Okay. For those who are younger than we are and do not know, there was no internet. It was not connected to anything. It was a box with a screen. A black and, and white a screen. Plug, a black and white screen. Okay. But no, me, I sat down and put in solar energy run. Really? I did. And what happened? <laughs> Did the solar energy run? Nothing happened. Okay, great. It was traumatic. <laughs> but you see how I was a visionary? I did a third grade. solar energy. I did a third grade project on the bald eagle. And oh. they were back when they used to be endangered. Right. And thanks to me and my third grade project, <laughs> today the bald eagle is not endangered. <laughs> You're welcome, kids. Oh, exactly. So I did a poetry contest for the Tay-Sachs Foundation and had everybody write poems. Hashtag and- Jews. <laughs> Thank you, Tay-Sachs. Thank you, Genetics. We'll get to Genetics at the later part of the show. But but the Jewish part, we'll go all in. Yeah, Yeah, so I did that in fifth grade. And I started a camp for economically underprivileged children from inner city Philadelphia when I was 15. You were way ahead of your time. Solar energy run. That's very impressive. On a 64K little computer that you probably got a Toys R Us. All right, my last sentiment here is my favorite commercial of the 80s was the Toys R Us Christmas commercial. Do you remember this one? It's a Toys R Us time of year. You know, it's all about snowflakes and winter and Jeffrey the Giraffe. And and, anyway. you, and you felt like the world would be good. We're going to find a clip of that. And then do, 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 do Toys for Cars for Kids. No, no, Cars for Kids. 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS. Fuck for kids. those people. Cars for Kids. I don't know what the fuck that is. Don't ever say that. You must it's leave the studio now. Okay, I'm leaving. That's anathema to this oh. show. <laughs> so you led a really interesting life pre-healthcare landing on you. Mm-hmm. Talk about the the 2000s. I mean, you were you're a media yeah. person. It's I so am. rare to meet people that are in media that know what media used to be. So, like, right, I had trouble when the whole YouTube thing happened and all because I. Honestly, I before that I had a makeup team and a lighting team and a camera guy. And right. I was like, I don't understand. I'm supposed to be the talent and do all this stuff. Right. Like I was so confused. But yeah, like old time, like real TV, like today show, CNN, like regular television, live to when what it is was live? Wait, what's that word again? Live? Live. Like I would be I was live to ten million. That's amazing. Yeah. My grandmother thought so. <laughs> That's all you need. That's all you need, the approval and, um, of one. And I was a publisher of a newspaper and a wannabe magazine. And I produced for a bunch of the uh, ABC. 
and uh, wrote. Back when people trusted the news. Well, it was after Nixon, so. It was also after the Fairness mm. Doctrine was destroyed. Yeah. But I think I think more trust but back then because there was, was less noise. It was a big deal for sure. Yeah. Like it was a big deal. Like I'd be like, oh, I was on the Today Show. Like that was a big deal. Right. You know, like, oh, CNN needs me. Like. But there was a lot more, um, I would say, uh, structure and intention and less histrionics back then on what they were reporting on and how they built stories. Oh, for sure. There was actually research done yeah. and, and actually building of stories and actually production. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I just sort of like I was at this fork in the road, which I was at many times in my life between business, a.k.a. money and media, um, a.k.a. fame and fulfillment. And um, and every time I kind of hit that fork, I chose the business side. Um, but yeah, no, I recently made a decision that I was going to go the other way. See, everybody's missing my hand motions. Right. But yeah, you can't do that they're, on they're the radio. exciting hand motions. She's gesticulating appropriately. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I produced. I was on air. I had a podcast before everybody was doing podcasts on um, a Blog Talk Radio. It's funny you say Blog Talk Radio. So in 2006... I was just getting ready to start stupid cancer. I just had met my bald Jewish Binghamton friend named Craig, <laughs> who happened to be on the board of a very powerful policy group called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. And they were like this amazing influencer. They worked on CHIP with Clinton and all the Medicare, everything. They are the place. They were the place. And I was kind of like uh, mentored by the leadership there, the late Ellen Stovall and some other people. And there was a nonprofit that was called... Um, uh, vital Options. They had a terrestrial AM show that they toted around all the cancer conferences and broadcast from live. There's that word again. Live. live. So they were approached by a, a very nascent early streaming company. This is when people were still on dial-up and DSL called Now Live. And it was basically positioned as online streaming voice blogging. Those are words we put together. Right. The, word, the word salad of 06 <laughs> was online talk radio blog streaming. Right. Or like before vlogging became vlogging. the next word after right. that. And um, pre-YouTube, pre-Google, pre-Facebook, pre-everything. Like, even like, maybe Friendster was a right. thing back then. So they handed me the microphone and I built the whole Stupid Cancer Show launched on May uh, 28th, 07. And that's when like, and it was live. Right. Eight to nine Mondays for two years. And then finally, Blog Talk Radio showed up and said, we would like to turn your live show into a podcast. Uh -huh. And I was like, what the fuck is a podcast? <laughs> like the iPod? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, there was only Apple Podcasts back then. iHeart hadn't gotten into it. There was no Spotify. That was the right. only place to listen right. was on iPhones. And um, or on iPads, I think we're in 08 when iPads launched 2010 with iPads, launched, whatever it was. So I technically had like the first podcast on Apple podcasts ranting about healthcare and stupid cancer and all sorts of bullshit. But to their credit, blog talk radio was kind of very innovative for its time. My stuff's still up. I was, I'm like theoretically working on my sizzle reel. So I'm like Googling myself because I never Google myself. You know what that's called? <laughs> There's a word for that. Um, narcissism? E ego surfing. Ego surfing. Yes. Okay. You were ego surfing. Okay. So I was doing it to pull up, put all the stuff in of like, and all of my blog talk radio shows are still up. 
I did over 60 shows, and one of them has been made into a movie. It's coming out on Netflix. All right, so I'm going to mic drop right No, <laughs> That was a mic drop, but we have to take a break. Okay. Because I think this is going to be like an extended cut episode okay. of Out of Patience. Okay. We'll be right back with Gail Zotz. <laughs> Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, so we have the Binghamton, Wegmans, Montgomery Ward, Crosby's connection. Crosby's, Murray Street, yes. We have... The Crosby's is, is real, though. Yeah. That's like... No, I'm, I'm seeing it. Yeah, listeners, I'm really, seeing this. She's she's, she's pulsating. <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> and we have the media background, the yeah. advertising background. We have the radio background. Yeah. And thanks to shit happens, we have the cancer background. <laughs> so I want to mic drop this here live on the show. I did you a favor. So the saga of Gail has been very well documented, but I feel like there's a YouTube video that really sums it up the best. And I, I found the video of you telling your story in a very compassionate, very energizing way as you do. So I decided to get you a birthday present because yesterday was your birthday as of this taping. I registered the domain, thesagaofgale.com. <laughs> That's G-A-L-E, like a gale of wind. So if you go to thesagaofgale.com, it goes to that YouTube channel, to that video of you telling your saga. Which one? I don't know. Just one of them. One of the many. I love this. So so just to let you know here on Live on the Air. Can, I we, can, can we make shirts? We can make shirts. The sagaofgale.com. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Wait, I can redirect it any way you want. the best birthday present yes. ever. Yeah. This is so exciting. So thesagaofgale.com is now like, your website. <laughs> It can go anywhere you want, but I, I could not. I mean, we could spend seven hours going through your saga. We could. But the Dime Store tour pretty much is it was a lot of shit piled on top of a lot of shit, deep fried in more shit, <laughs> and then wrapped in a chalupa. With some special sauce. Taco Bell, not a sponsor. 
So what's the dime store tour of Gail Cancer 101? Gail Cancer. So I was getting sick. Uh, I was getting How? Sicker. What does that mean? Just like you vomited uh, one day? No, I stopped being able to walk. That's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> but, you know, I they thought they kind of treated me like it was in my head. And you were you I, in I your 30s or they, 40s? I was in my um, early 40s. I, I think my 40th birthday, I was just getting into a wheelchair. That was my 40th so birthday. So you just present. couldn't walk? Yeah, no, my legs just kept going out on me. And Did your I was doctor in a lot think of you pain. had like sciatica or something? You know, so the neurosurgeon said I had bad luck. <laughs> That's the best <laughs> diagnosis ever. That was his official diagnosis. And, and early on, I said, you know, maybe we should do a mammogram. And I'm like, you're way too well, young they didn't for do a mammogram. That back then. They the, did not the do guidelines it. didn't go down to I 40 was, yet. I was too young. I was too young for the guidelines. Woo! So much for the guidelines. So, <laughs> so I was really being able to do less and less, uh, particularly over the course of a year. And I w- was getting, so I went into the hospital. I was in the hospital. But this is like sort of like healthcare weird thinking. It was Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. So I, ag- you can follow this. I agreed to go into the hospital because I figure it's Labor Day weekend. They're going to like get me out. They're not going to want to keep me to do more tasks because Labor Day weekend. The staff. So you're banking on staycations. That's what I was. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I'll be able to leave. And they said, you know, we're, you're just getting sicker and sicker. We don't know what's wrong with you. So you should go to hospice. <laughs> on like day two? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, no. It's like a Tinder date from hell. <laughs> they're they're like well you know it'd be good to like write letters to your kids and i'm a single mom of four right like and they come in so they bring a psychiatrist we have like an hour visit where he's trying to get me to accept my situation but they're not even trying to figure out what's wrong with you no it was like were you at like joe's cancer shack in spokane or something (laughs) where were you they were like they just, they totally gave up on me. Like, and they didn't know what was wrong with like me at all. Bradley's or Caldor Cancer Center? <laughs> so then they brought in security to like push me in like a wheelchair. They're like, miss, you really have to get in. I'm like, you can't touch me. Ha ha, you can't touch me. I did a sit-in in the hospital. That's amazing. And then like at six days, and I'm like alone. And at like six days, you know, the bed utilization person said, get her out. So my winning ticket was... To a basement of a one-star skilled nursing facility. That sounds like Milton from Office Space. <laughs> there was like mold. This is not a euphemism. There was mold pouring down from the ceiling. You were literally in like a cancer dungeon. <laughs> it was, you know, they didn't even put walls up. It was like basement, basement, cinder blocks That's and everything. Terrible. Oh, my God. Like alone. I was completely alone. Are you at, at I, liberty to say where this was? I was in, in Minnesota. Okay. In um, um, St. Louis Park. Okay. So... So, so, but here, here's the thing. This might Aren't be just wondering? the worst story ever. <laughs> there are a lot of bad stories, but this might be the worst story ever. You know me. I don't go halfway. So. Go big or go home, Gail. Go big or the go Sagaofgail.com. <laughs> but aren't you wondering, did I know I had cancer? I did not. They left me in the nursing home to die without knowing why I would die. Three weeks after I'm there... Scheduling calls me and they're like, okay, we got you in with the next oncologist. I said, oncologist, you mean I have cancer? She's like, no one told you. 
Right. I got my diagnosis from a scheduling person in India. That's worse than Carrie Bradshaw <laughs> being like dumped on a post-it note. <laughs> so, you know, I go in and I meet with, I had a palliative team. Right. So I had. A Wait, so you're in a dungeon. I'm in a dungeon. You get notified. In an electric wheelchair. Like, like stamps.com sent you a fax. Yes. You have cancer. From scheduling. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I go in and, uh, you know, surprise, it was stage four. Um, How many months after your like first I can't walk was this? So it was a while. I mean, this was, I was definitely using a wheelchair by 2010. Mm -hmm. And this was already 2016. Jesus Christ. Yeah, this was a lot, a lot of doctors. It was in in a single part of this that's okay. No, they, they thought it was in my head. I mean, they like treated me as if it was all like in my head. You know, that's another thing you said, because at one point I was misdiagnosed for so long. They actually told me, we think this is all in your head. You know what? It's a fucking brain tumor. Right. It was in my it head. It is in your head. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Congratulations, Captain Obvious. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that whole time they were like, Treated me like it was a mental illness or something. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, God, that's yeah. the worst. I'm telling you, I got to tell you, honestly, when I got the cancer diagnosis, I was like, yes, because- There's actually something wrong with you. There's actually something wrong with me. I haven't made it up for six years. I know. It's the oddest cathartic <laughs> like realization. It was, it was it was the best. And it wasn't my fault. Right. It wasn't like cancer that I had caused from like bad living or something like that. Right, right. Like it was completely like- I mean, if you were like wallowing in sewage for six months and got cancer, okay, I did that to myself. I will not wallow in sewage or nuclear waste, <laughs> but here you are. No, yeah. I did nothing, nothing to make this happen. No, which was like a relief because yeah. six years of being told that, and I didn't even realize it was that long. I had to think when you asked me. Right. Like I a, mean, I had very similar when they said you actually have a mask in your head. I'm like, fucking finally, there's mm-hmm. something. I, I'm so happy there's a mask in my head. Yes. I'm not crazy. Yes. And then I'm like, there's a fucking mass in my head. Right. (laughs) Well, get it out. We'll get it out. Get it out. (laughs) Please take it out of me. Right. Right. So, of course, mine were, you know, shockingly too big to operate. Okay. And metastasized. Okay. And, you know, like going into the lymph nodes and under like my arm and going up my brain. And you said the full deluxe car wash afterwards. I, I wanted the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I had 10 months okay. of, uh, but when I met with them, I said, you need to know I'm like going to live. Right. I, they didn't believe me at all. Okay. But they wrote it down. <laughs> uh, so now so. we get into the, uh, how dying are you portion of the podcast. Right. <laughs> I was basically told maybe a week after my surgery that I had a 20% chance to survive the surgery. So I'm like, well, we'll tell you now. Right. <laughs> Now that you're alive. Right. <laughs> it's like Han Solo's like, never tell me the odds. They didn't tell me the odds until I survived it. And then they're like, well, let's see if you're here in six months. Yeah. Right. And then like, oh, let's see if you're here in five years. So I got experience. And eventually my, my oncologist like, you're definitely dying of something else. Leave me alone. I'm like, Done. <laughs> what was your version of that? Um, that I'm dying. That was it. Right. They wanted like that. I would never be cancer free. Mm hmm. They said, I will, you will never be cancer free. And those are famous last words for the, for good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, they, I mean, it was, I was, I wasn't, they didn't think I would survive at all. Right. That's the whole idea with hospice. Mm-hmm. You go when you die comfortably. Um, is that, a, is that still a misperception? Hospice means you're dying immediately or is hospice like, we're just going to try to make everything good while we can. Is it an inevitability re- metaphor 
or is it like we're just going to make this better for you while you're on treatment? So I think the palliative team, which I would literally did so much like I'm so happy I had a palliative team. Right. I don't think people realize how much a palliative team does. They think palliative teams are only for hospice. Okay. So hospice is usually like the location where you got where you go or you have hospice at home. Final chapter kind of stuff. Final chapter kind of stuff. But a palliative team who are the same doctors and nurses and social workers who treat hospice, they're amazing. Right, Right. I mean, they they deal with medication and therapy and meditation and spiritual like the I loved my hospice team. I still my therapist. My I mean, therapist you, all these years later was my therapist. I mean, from, from anything, anything is better than the Milton office space dungeon that you were in. No, so literally, so like jail. I mean, they came cancer, in. Cancer, no, cancer. I was in cancer jail. <laughs> I can't believe we're using these words. Okay. But it's us. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. So because I was in healthcare and I had like all these notions, I wanted to put sensory things in my room. Right. I'm in a basement, like concrete, no windows, like prison. Right. Prison. So I think I'll bring sensories like color and scents and textures and all these things that have evidence, like literal evidence to show that it helps. Right. So um, so I brought like some stuff in. I went in my wheelchair, like, you know, went in my electric wheelchair and like (laughs) went out and and got some stuff like to have like some seating, like blow up like soft things and all of that. Right. And uh, they came in, three people, and uh, they said that I was breaking the fire code regulations. And so that, no soup for you. That well, Not only that, they turned over my bed. What? They did a, a room check, like what you do in jail. Right. They turned over my mattress. Contraband. Okay. Yes, for contraband. My contraband was sensory things oh my to God. help me in my recovery, offset not having to use drugs. This wasn't this wasn't Shawshank. This was Attica. Okay, but I'm not. I'm. This is not a metaphor. They came in. Now they had to lift me off my bed to put me onto a wheelchair so they could turn over my bed. That is. That's a hell of a story. They bust And my... why don't you have a book yet? <laughs> <laughs> this year. Or you're on Netflix year. series? No, this year. This year. The book, the TED Talk, and then we'll talk to Netflix. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. We're going to take another break because, oh my God, we deserve another segment. <laughs> we're not going anywhere. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, the saga of Gale.com. For those still inquisitive about how this really dragged out for you, is well documented across the internet these days. I, I want to spend the rest of the show talking about how you're channeling like this, what the fuck just happened to me, to, like we say, pay it forward, the, the cat poster shit. But, like, you are all over the fucking place in a very precision way, triggering all the right people to do very different things. And we're going to conspire immediately following the show for the next like 20 years and fixing shit, whatever fixing means. But I want to get your thoughts on this one sentence. I was told by a guy named David Contorno, who basically helped build uh, Medicare during Clinton era, that healthcare is not broken. It is fixed and working as planned. It is the job of the American voter to break it. How do you feel about that? To break it? Yes. I don't understand. Wait, is this like a weird trick sentence? No. Healthcare is not broken. It's I'll say it this way. I'll say it this way. The American healthcare system is not broken. It is working exactly according to plan. The only way to make it better for people that need it is to break it. Okay. So, so you know, the, the issue is, right, it's about the transactions, it's and about many transactions. A, it, not being thrown in cancer jail, for one. Yeah, that that's not awesome, folks. No. No, it's not awesome. But um, I, at the core, I, I feel like we all kind of have to hang our hat on something, right? We go through something crazy and we're like, oh, this is the thing. Either I'm going to blame or I'm going to fix or I'm going to believe in. Right. You know? Well, um, there's, there's such a, like, it's like... um. It's like a pointillist painting, right? There's so many yeah. little dots that make up a big picture. Yeah. So what is, have you settled on one specific thing that you are making a, a big stink about? So uh, so the, uh, on the business side, it's value-based care. Okay. I, I Which think is what? End what, what, the transactions. For the idiots like me, what the hell is value-based care? That we, right now, it's paid mostly healthcare on fee-for-service, which is a transaction of sickness. Okay. That's a Gail's autism, transaction of sickness. Azotism. Azotism, but you can use Abyssal it. Abyssal <laughs> But you can use it. Okay. Okay, so like, so you're walking on the sidewalk, you fall down, you break your arm. Right. And it has to get fixed. The doctor gets paid to set the arm, gets paid to wrap it, gets paid for your physical therapy for each transaction that occurred because you were sick. Okay, makes sense. Only, therefore, the only way they will help you is when you're sick. Right. Because otherwise there's no financial incentive. Value-based care. Well, I guess then the doctor could like hit you with a bat. <laughs> and then fix the problem they caused. The American voter. Yes. Breaking the... I'm going to generate just a business, <laughs> doc. We got to keep that roar. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> like, as she roars. Um, so value-based care pays like a subscription. Okay. And says, use it and do good. But really, if there's a financial incentive, therefore, for you no longer to be sick, to fix the sidewalk so that you don't fall. So, like, because it's basically it ends up being like, cheaper. like it ends up being, don't sew the wound, don't get the wound. Yeah, you don't get the wound, right? right? You actually stop people from getting sepsis and C. diff. How many of us had that? All hands. We did. <laughs> she <laughs> um, raised 20 she fingers. Raised them all up. Um, you know, like, 
so so I say it's, it's like sneaking in good health care. Right. Because when it makes sense financially and there's more profit at the end, then nobody cares that I'm saying, let's give transportation. Let's send food. Let's fix the electricity so that they can keep their medication at home. Let's do, I mean, all the things that you and I know are right. But I mean, can you break it down into two main buckets, which is like shit that's fairly okay to deal with, like a break, broken arm versus like cancer care? So they actually started, some of the bundles started with more complex things like big falls and uh, end-stage renal disease. Um, what about they shit you live together. with? Yeah, like, so... Like hepatitis or multiple sclerosis or endometriosis. Like, if it's not, there's no, you, you, you break your arm, you fix it, that's a transaction. Right. What if there's no end to the transactions? But that's how they're paid is continually for your transactions. So therefore, each time, that's when they get paid. So um, who pays them? Medicare? Well, Medicare pays for Medicare people. Um, what about employer-based care? How do you mandate standards across every company's different employer-based benefits? So, you know, it's interesting because 60%... Was that a good question? Look, I was excited to answer. Okay, okay. I want to make sure I'm asking the right questions. because I'm. Why? There's no wrong questions. The role questions. of Matthew today is armchair idiot. No, it's... Okay, so let me tell you the truth. I do this like all day long. People who even have the title don't really understand what it is. Like, have I, we met? And you are <laughs> little cancer fog. Yes. Where am I? What day is it? No, like I, this is part of what I do is just trying to simplify. It. Because when you simplify it, my children are able to tell their other friends at school, and in a really simple way, where they say, "Oh, fee for service is really stupid." Why are we doing healthcare that way? Right. It actually can be very simple. I've always asked the question, who profits the most from making it better for consumers? So that's such a good question. So in a value-based care model, then everybody profits by making it better for consumers. That is one of the reasons why I love it. Okay. So imagine a fee-for-service, you, you doctor, nurse, whomever, get paid every time somebody's sick, every time they need a service, right? But in value-based contracting, you get paid the same amount whether the person needs the hospital or doesn't need the hospital. So all of a sudden, it. you're paid the same amount whether you go into the hospital or not. Your doctors and health systems make the same. Wait, so walk me through a scenario. I'm going to primary care because my eye is bleeding, right? So in the best solution, you'd be going to primary care every year because that's what we do. Okay. Is go to primary care and everybody would start going to primary care. Well, why that's, can't we do that? That's part of it. Okay. Value-based care only works when primary care is at the core of it. And telehealth is a whole other show we can do about yes. making primary care a little more accessible, right? Yes, which is, so that's the other thing with value is that it doesn't matter where it's delivered. Right. See, when it's a, it's a contractual service transaction. You have to go to the hospital or go to the clinic to receive the service. Because when they bill, they say was done at hospital. And there's a number for that. So it really is like no, going to a store and buying something. That is. Except that I'm is not the, paying for it. That's the business of healthcare, but somebody is. Right. But somebody's paying for it every time you go. Right. With value-based contracting, the health system gets paid the same amount of money every month, whether you get your visit on the phone for five minutes or whether you have to go into the hospital. So therefore, what do you think they're incentivized to do? Send you to the hospital. No. 
No, because send you home. Because then they get to save all that money. Oh, so if they don't send you to the hospital, they can keep it. They keep their basically. It's like a dividend. Yes. Okay. Whereas with vet, with regular fee for service, they have to get you into the hospital. Okay. No matter how much they say they're against preventable readmissions, they're not. Was that what that is? Like not needing to go to the hospital, going anyway. In fee for service, people right. do it because. That's the only place they're going to get paid, so they tell you to come into the hospital. Okay, I get it. But no. if so your doctor's getting the paid the same amount for you, he can pick up the phone, meet you at Starbucks, go to your house. That's a good doctor. Yes, it's a value-based care doctor. Right, right. I mean, that's what's happening in our country. There's there's whole value-based groups where they only go to the house. I think we need a better name than value-based. We do. We do need a good name. It's like consumer fix my fucking shit. Yeah, no, it's really... It's, I, I know that we all have to hang our hat on something, and I'm not saying that, the, but to me, it's the underlying problem. I go under the assumption that people are not bad people, or more, like, that it's not a, that it's because it's their only financial incentive. What's the opposite of value-based care? Is there Fee-for-service. Fee-for-service. Mm-hmm. That's where they're incentivized to do as many tests as possible, yes. whether necessary or not. That is over 70 for, 70% of our healthcare system today. So what is going to disincentivize them from that profit motive? Making it super uncomfortable for them to continue fee-for-service as opposed to moving to value-based care. So, for example, physicians got a 20% pay cut this year. Across the board? Across the board. That's bad. It's big. Okay. So I mean, it sounds and, bad. Yeah, so coming and, out of your mouth, I believe it's bad. <laughs> and CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, right. basically was like, We told you you're too comfortable in fee for service. Right. We don't want you to be comfortable. Because if you get uncomfortable, if you realize that you can no longer profit the same way, then you're going to move to value based contracting. At the end of the day, is this like a, uh, a legislative, civil activist? We're going to vote our way to make this a thing? Yes. So it's it's the core of the ACA. The Affordable Care Act was built not only to give people access to insurance, but to move people towards value-based contracting. And that's not happened in, in 12 years and, because? Well, so it's been happening. So what happened was the ACA created something called CMMI, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, mm-hmm. which is like an incubator. Okay. It's a funded incubator that says, we're going to fund companies trying to do alternative payment models who who try to figure out how to do it with value-based contracting and do a better job. The goals being to improve the outcomes of a whole population, to make the experience better for the patient, consumer, and to lower the total cost of care. Some people call it the triple aim. Those are the big goals. It sounds nice on paper, right? I'm still stuck on the how are you convincing people that they just need to be made uncomfortable. So so CMMI has these models. You've seen like over 50 of them have been out. At the end of the day, I mean, the short answer is it'll be mandatory. Okay. I mean, it's going to be made mandatory. That's so what I'm saying. Like without no, mandates, no, legislative mandates. Okay. So CMS right now is saying 2030, 100% of everybody's going to have to be on value. We'll see. But it's definitely not only is it becoming mandatory, but to your earlier question about employers. Right. 60% of everybody who has insurance has an employer self-pay plan. Right. Which is where the- Which are mostly people under 45 that will never be anywhere near Medicare. Yeah. The head of that association, I was at the announcement this week, this year, and she said, we're not waiting for CMS. We're going ahead and negotiating value contracts right now. Okay. So you're also going to see more of it with these sort of like retail, 
you know, the Amazons, and you're going to see a lot more where So the Fortune 5,000 companies will be switching to this? Yes. Okay. And so it's... So it's based so on mandate or based on, like, economic benefit? They're doing it based on economic benefit, okay. which is what's interesting, is that everybody has been waiting for the mandate from CMS to occur permanent, and the private sector is saying we're not even waiting. All right, so... We're getting toward the end of this is easily like the saga of Gale version one of this show. You're coming back. <laughs> like that was so quick. Many, many times. That was been 45 <laughs> minutes. This has like been a fabulous nothing. conversation. It's got to keep happening. But I, I, I'm again, I, I'm always going to be like the cockeyed pessimist with this crap because I really look at and this is not an apples to apples. Like what Ralph Nader did in the 60s was convince the insurance companies to pay for the fucking seatbelts, and then everybody wins because mm-hmm. it cost them less to just pay for the fucking seatbelts as a, as, a, as a standard in the country than cover all the claims of people dying, right. right? Is there a version of that today? Is that this? Yes. Okay. Right? And we see it with all kinds of legislation, the No Surprise Act that has made it really, really expensive. The hospital to, billing shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the same thing. Okay. All right. So what can a listener do? I We have a, a grillion people listening to the show. A grillion? A grillion. You have a grillion people? Uh, oh, it's, it's, I want a grillion people. Um, all right. I'm exaggerating because I'm Jewish <laughs> and insecure with a low self-esteem. But yeah, I, I feel like it's an opportunity to invite people that listen to this show to not have some sterile lawyer-driven agency shit to listen to and just hear people that are – I'm. I, this is new to me. I, I'm outside this wheelhouse that you've been living in for – Twelve years no, at this point. No, it's great. Now. How am I doing at explaining it though? Do no, you feel I, I, like I'm you're... getting a better sense? But I, I live at the intersection of if this really is going to come down to a mandate and mm-hmm. Congress and mm-hmm. some kind of act, what can listeners do to get involved in that level of legislative activism, or is there even a thing to do yet? Uh, so it's interesting because the Progressive Caucus tried to shut it down this year, and I don't think. They understood because value-based contracting actually serves the underserved the most. Mm-hmm. But what happens is this is so complicated that you're given a sound bite, and then the sound bite ends up being not accurate. Which is like the, this, the, the worst use of they, media today. Yeah. The sound bite they gave was it was to privatize Medicare, which is right. just, it's not accurate, but it was the sound bite that everybody went with. So um, We really need Andy Rooney back. Yeah. Where is he? Well, you work for 60 minutes. So we need Andy Rooney back. <laughs> Go resurrect him. I was very young and very behind the scenes. <laughs> like we need the we need the Andy Rooney button. I know. He makes sense of he meant he, he made sense of everything. Yeah. So is there a bill in the house? So is there, there something like where can been. people go? What does so, this mean today? Uh yeah. So I mean the there needs to be and something that I keep saying I need to do. There needs to be a place where people can get it simply because right now the it's like 2,000 pages of stuff to have to read. So always a, to... always a fun little romp yeah. in the hay to read through a bill. <laughs> um, the other is that a lot of times your insurance or your physicians may offer this. So you can ask. Right. Is there like, you know, depending on what your insurance is. But I think the short answer to this is we should do this. I should put something out there so that people right. can go. I, and so like, yeah, sagavgale.com slash go do something. Go do something. <laughs> <laughs> Not a website yet. But it will be. <laughs> That's where I'm landing at here is like we have the capacity to reach 
a, a ton of people on every episode and even the other shows on our network and our big documentary series and our narrative series. There's a lot of people listening cross network. We've had over 1.8 million downloads in two years. That's a lot of people listening to our network. And if we were hit like a big red button where one ad ran on every show every day and they could go all one place to do one thing and we channel like this massive influx of pissed off American voters fucked by healthcare, what could they do? We can work on that. So you know what? I'm going to take this, and this is like going to be the thing that I'm going to think on. So before this airs, we're going to have an answer. Before this airs? We're going to have an answer. Okay, fine. How's it feel to keep having birthdays? I like birthdays. Yeah. Right? They're good. <laughs> I'm 39 forever. <laughs> you know, Mother's Day is five years for me. Congratulations. I mean, again, five years for me was 2001. January 10th, 01 was five years for me. And again, this was like in 95, 96, where they said, if if you make it five years, you'll be fine. And today it's like, you know, just take it day by day or here's survivorship or we're not really measuring by five years anymore. And I remember like just literally sweating my ass off every single day for five years, hoping I would live for five years. Do you have that outside of the whole, like, how am I still here factor? Do they tell you like, you'll be dead in five years? Yes. They did. I mean... A hundred percent. Everybody said I would not live to the five years. Yeah. Like it was not even part of the plan. It was, do you want to stay on chemotherapy until you die or you want to go off chemotherapy and die? Like it was never get to five years. It was, that was never part of the conversation. Well, the rumors of Gail Zott's death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> but I know if you didn't show up for the funeral. Yes, you, you really would. You really would. All right. Clearly the first of many, many engagements to come on the show here. Uh, Gail Zotz is a five-year survivor of stage four breast cancer. He also is survivor of the Shawshank Cancer Prison. (laughs) And amongst the many, you'll be dead in five hours club. And the Binghamton Club and And the the Crosby Club Club and the Wegmans Club. Right. Fantastic. And and the Morley Safer and Andy Rooney Club. We have a lot of clubs. Wait, and the Blog Talk Radio Club. I'm really excited. There's a lot of clubs. We could make like a club collection. Yes. So you're the founder and CEO of Wise Care Health. We'll get to the whole, another show for That's Wise Care Health. That's a whole other conversation. But again, thesagaofgale.com will link you to a YouTube video that she really does go through <laughs> the entire musings and extemporaneous housings of her, her travails. <laughs> It was a pleasure to see you in person, to have you on the show, and, and we are we are we are Mishbach for life. Yes. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855 Audio 66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patients is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.